we're going to have to rely on technology. Uh, the how we approach candidates is going to have to change. You know, I've spoken for the last five years. That's what my book's about is about the candidate experience. Uh, it's amazing how many companies still have a horrible mobile experience. They may have a, a nice career site, they're promoting, they're using video, they're attracting the right people. And then it comes to their application. And their application is, is this old stodgy application. It's asking for tons of information. The abandoned rate in applications is, is atrocious. Uh, so uh, as far as how people recruit, it's going to be much more data-driven. Um, AI and machine learning is not going to solve the problem, but people are going to have to become much more reliant on the data. Um, focus on candidate experience is definitely going to, to uh, increase. The pressure to improve that is going to increase this year. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. So it's been two years since U.S. businesses began responding to the COVID-19 epidemic. Over the next six weeks, my guests and I will be looking back over the past two years, reviewing the lessons learned and predicting what lies in the future uh, for the workplace and for business. My guest today is Ira S. Wolf, president of the aptly named Poised for the Future and host of the Geeks Geezer Googleization podcast. He is also the author of Recruiting in the Age of Googleization, now in its second edition, and the weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Never Normal News. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Ira. Hey, good morning, Mike, and good morning, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. So let's go back to the very dawn of the pandemic. We've all got different stories. Do you recall where you were or what you were doing when you realized, oh, wow, this pandemic's going to be a thing? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I was probably sitting at my desk uh, where I usually am. Uh, I've been virtual since uh, 2007. So I'm sure I was sitting there with my mobile phone by my side, watching the text messages come through of cancellations and shutdowns and lockdowns and uh, all those events, uh, which was very interesting because two days prior to that, I had done an in-person SHRM meeting. Uh, it, was a la it was the last one. And that was strange because there was a group of people that were pretty cautious, even then social distancing. And yet there were others who were shaking hands and giving hugs. So I don't think it hit that, but it was an interesting observation. But I, I think I was just sitting where, you know, in my usual spot at my desk. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd been traveling uh, earlier that year uh, to speak to Sherm chapters, and I could see it increasing, the caution increasing a little bit here. And, you know, I'm from Texas. We're, you know, we're still ki French kissing strangers on the mouth. Uh, you know, and so, you know, coming to being in D.C. or other places like that and seeing that caution well before we were even shutting things down was kind of a wake up call for me. So that's interesting. But when it all hit and for me, it was spring break in uh, March of uh, 2020. But when it all really hit, uh, we started, you know, 
shutting things down and going remote and doing whatever we had to do, we were talking a lot about the new normal. Uh, and then it was the next normal. That was a hot phrase for a while. But, you know, I really like the name of your newsletter, The Never Normal News. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about change and adaptability because I know those are real big issues for you. And I'm excited about that. But let's go back again to, you know, looking back at 2020. How would you grade businesses' initial response to COVID-19 and their, as it relates to their employees and their businesses? If we look back for, let's say, the first two or three months, not, not what that initial weekend or, or the first week was, but if we look at that initial response, it was remarkable. I, you know, look, I think both of us have been around for other recessions and, uh, you know, 2008, 2001, uh, you know, just different events. And I fully expected that that my business would just stop. Uh, I'll, well, I always speak. I don't necessarily speak um, for I, it's for marketing. It's getting out there and it's sharing. It's it's not my my job. Uh, so the fact that I didn't have to speak anymore wasn't an issue. But the reality is, uh, I really we're in the pre-employment testing and leadership testing business. No one in prior recessions has ever said, you know, this is a good time to look into pre-employment testing and leadership. Uh, it just would stop, dead stop. So I fully expected that you know business would dry up. So I I jumped into marketing mode. At the same time. Um, but it never happened, and, and which means that companies did a remarkably quick pivot and a good pivot without any playbook to get through those first three months. So I, I think, you know, looking back and uh, strangely enough, it's almost three years, uh, strangely enough, it's I think they did remarkably well initially. And any ideas, anything jump out about where you saw companies fumble the, the ball? Well, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So I think everybody went home trying to figure it out. There was a lot of leniency. We got to work this out. Uh, one is, I mean, I think they fumbled the ball that there was no plan for something like this. Uh, but when they went home, is people really struggled? And, and again, I think there was a big divide, and I'm sure you've talked about this on other shows, and you'll hear about this. There was there was a group that did well. It gave an opportunity to have transparency, authenticity. You know, all of a sudden the CEO was sitting at home uh, where prior to that was you need to be focused when you're on a call. That's why I don't want you working from home. Uh, we want you to be focused. And all of a sudden their cats are jumping up on the desk and the dog's barking and the delivering man's coming and the kids are walking in and they realized uh, problems with bandwidth. Uh, and and other issues. Uh, so I, I think there was a group that really started to empathize uh, with the and, and understand what their workers were going through. And then there was another side that really was stuck in the old world. Uh, you know, it's your problem if you don't have internet. It's your problem if you don't if you have five family members sharing a laptop. Uh, if you don't have a place to work. You know, you're, everybody's crowded around the kitchen table. Uh, so I, I think it really kind of um, showed what's the uh, what's the, the term? The emperor has no clothes. Uh, you know, the companies that did well, I think, were one thing. The other companies aren't. Yeah. And I wrote early in the pandemic uh, in our blog that uh, and I predicted it's one of those few predictions I made that actually seemed to prove right 
um, that the companies that had good people management practices in, in place already, they already had good leadership, good feedback, high trust and engagement from their employees. They really got through that first six months without stumbling too bad. It was the companies that were managing people by walking around, looking over their shoulder, you know, uh, you know, look busy. Here comes the boss, that kind of environment uh, where they didn't trust their employees and they hadn't built that trust of management that really stumbled. And, uh, and I think in many cases still stumbling uh, with, you know, as, as they try to drag employees back to the office, kicking and screaming. You're absolutely right, Mike. Uh, there was companies that, you know, had it together. They're a little bit more nimble, a little bit more agile. They had good leadership in place. Uh, you know, if a company was a people forward, we, we describe it as people forward, but a people forward culture, that was the mindset. Um, they probably responded well to the to their employees. They cared about them. They wanted to make sure they did health checks on their employees, want to make sure everybody's doing okay. Uh, you know, others that just long to get back to normal. Hey, this will be temporary. You're going to go home. You know, we'll, we'll get through it. little grit and resilience there. And then we'll all come back to work in a few weeks and we'll get back to the way things were. And obviously, three years later, uh, you, you, you know where the where people fell on which side of the fence. Exactly. And you know, I, my HR career, I came up you know, through the generalist ranks, but spent a good bit of time in the HRIS systems and procedures side. And in my 23 years now in, in the consulting side, I've consistently told clients that technology is not your pro- problem most of the time. Your processes and your culture and how you do business are the problem. And technology can enable that or it can just be uh, another burden. But don't, you know, and I think there are a lot of us just said, OK, well, we'll just go do Zoom. And we didn't think what the impact of Zoom was going to be on the quality of meetings and input and respecting employees' privacy and all the things around there. And we just stumbled into it and threw it at the, you know, threw it all at the wall and to see what would stick. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a giant advocate for technology and HR, but I'm, uh, I'm not convinced that we've, we, we've done it all really well uh, during uh, in normalizing how we do business over the last two years. Yeah, and that goes back to the original my original response. I, I think we did well for the first few weeks, uh, first few months. Uh, people, you know, uh, kind of plowed through it, uh, learning as we go. Uh, it was certainly challenging. Uh, people, you know, again, everybody became their own IT department. It was like, hey, how do I get my camera on? Things aren't working, and then all of a sudden, you realize you had to turn to your kids or your spouse or or to your neighbor. Uh, it just wasn't working. But you brought up a really, really interesting point because we, there was so much written about Zoom fatigue and how technology, and we're so dependent on this, and we can't wait to to get bring the H back in HR, bring the human back in HR. And but consider this: if we roll the clock back and find where we were how, uh, in March, uh, you know, two years ago. How would we have gotten through this pandemic without this technology? How would oh, we have gotten pat- through this t- through the pandemic without Zoom? If this had been two thousand nine and it had been the last big recession, uh, it would have been horrible. Yeah, yeah. So although you know there are thirty some million people who lost their jobs, they were unemployed. We were in lockdown. Schools were closed. Uh, and yes, it you know part of the blame I put on us and people. 
because we should have been better prepared to learn how to do this. It's not that the technology means that we can't create a really good culture, that we can't communicate well, that we've lost that uh, ability to team build and collaborate. The reality is there's some people that have done it really, really well. But had we not had the technology, then either we would have had much higher unemployment because people would have, we would have been forced into lockdown and they wouldn't have been able to work, uh, or that people uh, would have had to go to work. There were a lot more people that would have been forced to work. So the hospitalizations, the infection rates, um, the deaths, as as hard as it is to believe is we would have had much more than 800,000 people di- dead from the initial wave, not from the, the, the variants, but from the initial wave. So technology saved us. And, you know, had it come just a few years earlier, we wouldn't have the bandwidth, the technology, uh, or the, the wherewithal to be able to get there. Yeah, we um, went, uh, as part of our disaster recovery plans that we put to get, uh, together uh, and updated like 2016 or 17, we went to thin clients. So all of our instances of every desktop was on a server uh, in another city, you know, and so none of, nobody was using a an actual computer desktop. So we could go remote overnight. And as long as uh, our employees had reliable internet, so I was on spring break and I called my IT guy and said, hey, is that disaster recovery thing that we spent so much money on gonna work? And he said, yeah, it should. And I'm like, well, uh, what I'm saying, we better do it. So do it this week and have everybody set up on the weekend. And and it worked. And that was the great technology. I think my point, we've got good, I think, at Imperative, really good people practices, and I've got a great team. It's when you're shoehorning bad people practices into technology, it just makes it worse, I think, um, uh, as far as uh, collaboration and connectivity. I think a lot of employers are hopefully realizing that a lot of those meetings that they had, they didn't need to have to start with and that just having a meeting doesn't mean you're collaborating and things and, and, um, and, you know, zoom fatigue is, is probably, uh, uh, evidence of that, of, you know, it, it's not so much that we're, uh, we're on zoom too much. It's that we're just having too many meetings and, uh, and, and we wait and, and they're often not very productive. And so, uh, it'll be interesting. So, what do you think the main lesson that most business leaders still haven't learned from the past two years? That probably goes back to something that you said earlier, uh, that we started out talking about the new normal, uh, which we assume will be the static place that, yeah, things will be a little bit different, but we'll, we, we still have this context of the way that used to be. And then we had future normal, next normal, future next, everybody had their own term. But it's really going to be never normal. Um, I, I think there's still this context of, of even clients or companies that are struggling with what hybrid work looks like, what remote work looks like, with getting back to work, bringing people back to the office. Uh, they assume that it's going to be uh, some semblance of the way that it used to be. And it's clearly not going to be that way. It's going to be never normal. Uh, and even if we look at hybrid, it's going to be a combination of remote. Uh, some days we'll be remote. Some days we won't be remote. How does it affect recruitment, retention, culture building, team building, collaboration? Uh, and, you know, how do we deal with other outbreaks and, and other variants? Yeah, and I'm, I'm convinced that 
um, we're never going back to a workforce that just accepts by default that we're going to be in a workplace, in an office, 40 hours a week doing our jobs. Uh, I've seen some of, you know, and and we deal with really risk averse clients uh, on the pre-employment screening and due diligence uh, part of our business. And I've seen some very white glove firms who, you know, accounting firms and consulting firms that I, you know, never thought they would go remote. They're negotiating smaller office space because they don't need they don't need it now. And I'm glad I'm not in commercial real estate over the next couple of years because as these leases expire, it's going to be a problem. Um, so let's, you know, I thought we had this whole thing and we had a whole bunch of, a bunch of pent up um, resignations. I, and a lot of people who went remote and now it's not, you know, normally I would have quit my job now. Uh, I, I'm not engaged. I don't love this employer or it's just time to move on and do something different. But People stayed stayed put if they had a place to be for a year, year, you know, or more. And then all of a sudden they started deciding, well, screw this, I'm retiring, or they just started designing, you know, or now's the time to go look as things open back up and I've got better opportunities. And it started those dominoes crashing. People, you know, I leave this job for this role. And so now somebody's got to fill this role. And and it starts what we've called the great resignation, which I think maybe overstates it as far as as the reasons for it, but give me your, are we approaching the end of this wave of job shuffling uh, or do you think that's going to continue in 2022? That's a great question. I, I think that the, the labor shortages will, and, and this is after talking with a number of economists, the, the labor shortages or the, the speed at which we're hiring and creating jobs will wane a little bit uh, we're, because we, we had this catch up uh, from the pandemic. So it's going to wane, but it's still going to be moving forward. It's still going to be increasing. We're From the resignations, I think the curtain has been pulled back on companies, just like we exposed the pandemic, that we were just vulnerable to a infrastructure crash. And whether it's the next time it's an electrical grid um, or whatever, that we're all we're, we're very vulnerable, and especially in HR, because in order to have companies run, we need to have the people to do it, at least for the near future. So, and and but I, I believe, in, as far as the Great Resignation, that maybe we're not going to see four and a half million people quit their jobs every month. But even if it's three million, even if it's half that rate, that's a lot of people leaving their jobs every month, and. Then it gets compounded because every time somebody leaves, companies generally have to fill that position. And the labor shortages, the skill gaps going forward are going to continue for at least another decade or 15 years. And that's under the assumption that we do some some aggressive changes on how we train, educate, upskill, reskill uh, the the estimates that I've seen, uh, a good friend of mine, Ed Gordon, had just done a recent white paper and studies, and you know, there he's projecting we're going to be short uh, 32 million people, uh, skilled not even skilled workers, uh, lo, even low skilled workers, uh, in the next uh, ten with by 2030. Uh, so we, we've got a lot of work to do, and I think now's an opportunity not to sit back, not to go back to a new normal, is really to have that mindset that we're going to live in a never normal, and how do we 
not continually chase our tail. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 33 and enter the keyword WOLF. That's W-O-L-F-E. On March 10th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled, What to Do When an Employee Gets Arrested. We'll discuss the policies you need to have in place before you get that call from an employee's spouse that, well, he won't be in today, and how to fairly evaluate whether the arrest has any relevance to the individual's role in the organization. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after March 10th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Ira Wolf. Yeah, I'm not convinced the old normal was really that great for uh, the long-term health of a lot of companies or employee satisfaction or the well-being of employees. One of the things that I'm involved with here locally with the uh, Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce is their uh, workforce development efforts. And um, I am convinced that our education system isn't serving uh, employees or students or employers uh, very well. And we need to get employees uh, to the point where, you know, they're actually engaged in lifelong learning. Um, and do you see that as a trend that's going to, that, that more employers are maybe going to start taking more responsibility for? We used to have unions, right? Unions would give you those skills and people would join a union and they would, you know, uh, they would have apprenticeships and do all of that. And, and we just don't have that in, in the U.S. at the level, especially on the white collar side. Uh, but what you learned in college 15 years ago, whether it's in marketing or, you know, anything except for maybe accounting probably has changed radically. Um, and, uh, you know, the sciences maybe, but even those are, are exponentially growing. So uh, lifeline learning is going to uh, have to be something, but I'm not sure we have the resources and the infrastructure in place to support that. What are your takes on that? Oh, I absolutely agree. We we can't agree on anything. Well, not not that we can't agree, but Washington can't. Oh, <laughs> our, yeah. our leaders can't seem to agree on anything. But there's no question. Uh, the, the the educational status, you know, there's still what they call two thousand uh, dropouts uh, high schools uh, in 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 the country, which means that there's more people dropping out than they are graduating. Uh, we need, you know, looking at apprentice systems, going back, you know, what unions have done really well, and certainly in the trades, uh, you know, and, and many, many other jobs like that uh, is learning on the job. Uh, the cost of secondary education or post-secondary education universities and colleges is is way out of reach of most people. So now we've got got this class structure. Uh, we're still if if we are going to have less immigration, then we need to have more people fill low-skilled jobs. Uh, and in order to get them, they still need some basic skills. They need transportation. They need childcare. They need healthcare. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's it's complicated, and I called it the perfect labor storm. And and we looked at uh, all the different factors, and one of them begins with the number of people that are available to work. And we we have a larger population, but we also have a large dependent population. All the boomers, we have a lot of young people, uh, but it's a barbell. Uh, there there are just less work less working adults. And one thing that's been overlooked over time. And, and again, this is just that the curtain was pulled back. We, we ignored it. Uh, leaders ignored this for years. The male participation rate has been declining for 70 years. You go back to 1950, eight, uh, 82% of men, four out of five working age men had a job. As of 2019, this is before the pandemic, there was only 62% of males were holding a job. That's only, that's a 20% drop. One out of five people who used to work before males of working age aren't working. So there's many, many reasons. Some are disabled, some are are uneducated or unskilled. Um, Some are incarcerated, some are on opioid addiction. But if we keep peeling that onion and keep taking, taking people away, it's less eligible people to have a larger workforce and more people dependent on them. At the same time, women uh, doubled in the workforce. It used to be in 1950, it was 32%. It was almost 60% prior to the pandemic. And But women had took the hardest hit during the pandemic because, again, they, they are the caregivers, um, single parents, taking care of multiple kids at home, uh, trying, you know, holding down a job, um, trying to, to do work and and uh, and school and mentor at all at the same time. And oftentimes they weren't making the same wages as their spouse. So even if they had a spouse who had a job, they had to make a decision who's making more money, who can take care of it. So women dropped, 4% of the women dropped out of the workforce. So there's all these things going on at the same time is that we're talking about education. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about workforce development, upskilling, reskilling, uh, we, we've got a we've got a tremendous amount of work. I wish I had a quick answer or a magic wand I can wave, uh, but we're we're going to struggle. Yeah, and I think the employers that aren't paying attention to those demographics and the needs of different um, market segments of of the labor market are really going to come up short if if they don't start thinking about how they need to change how they recruit and retain employees of with all kinds of unique circumstances, childcare or whatever else it is. People, again, and the leaders, and this is a, a really urgent message to you out there, stop gaslighting, stop deflecting, stop finger pointing. It's not, you know, get over it. It's not the millennials. The millennials didn't cause this. The millennials happen to be, are complaining about their own, their own self because millennials are now in the forties. It's not Gen Z. Uh, if, if you're if you're looking at, at if you're hiring young people and they're not showing up for work, uh, they're not doing their job, they're not educated, they're not skilled, then maybe you're looking in the wrong group. Because I can tell you, there's a lot of baby boomers that are also struggling that think that they des- that they're they're entitled as well that they deserve uh, a, a long retirement because they put 20, 25, 30 years you know behind them and therefore they desire they they deserve to live the next 30 or 40 years on somebody else's dime uh you know frankly there was a there was a call i was on the other day and somebody was complaining that the young people they they gave him a paper payroll check and they didn't know what to do with it uh they said what do i do with this thing and they were appalled of how bad education was in uh, parenting parenting skills that they weren't teaching their kids 
to cash a to deposit a check. And it's like, what universe are you living in? Yeah, maybe um, the education's what, backwards on the other end of that age spectrum. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I and that's exactly what I flipped. I said, if if your employer today told you you were going to be paid in crypto, what would you do? And that's that's the world. That's the never normal. And and we are we've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future. And the good news, the, the, the bad and the good news is the present is shrinking because we used to have the present used to be decades. It used to be centuries. But in, in our lifetime, it used to be maybe a decade or two decades before there was something significant that changed. What we're in now is like every month. Right. It's like the present has just shrunk. So the what the what the future's become is an evolving present. It's just never the same, uh, which makes it very interesting. And which goes back to you know one of my passions is is talking you know is about adaptability. The, the the biggest shortfall that we have is we're many people are really really uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Uncertainty is our new it is the new normal. It right. you know ne the never normal is our new normal, and it's perpetual change. It's it's some volatility, uncertain. Uh, you know the VUCA, what we call VUCA, right. volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. It's all of those things at the same time. It's not a single event. It didn't happen in 2020, and the pandemic will pass, and we will get back to normal. It's it's not that way. And, and so we're, we have people that are really, really struggling with it. And our organizations are not set up uh, to help people get through this. And, and the companies that are going to survive and thrive and grow and, and innovate are going to be those companies that figure out how to create a human, you know, whatever, a, a human organization, uh, a people first, a people forward, lots of different names for it. Um, but, but the reality is, how do you help people? navigate this never normal. Those are the, the organizations that people will want to work for. They may not stay there forever because it's going to evolve, but those are the organizations that people are, are going to want to work for. Yeah, I think the 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 path to whatever the future is that we're on is the same path we were on before. The 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 pandemic was just an accelerator. We were walking down this path, we stumbled and we fell forward further than we intended. But we've caught up. We've caught ourselves, but it's going to continue. You know, I think we would be doing Zoom in five years at the level we're doing it now if the pandemic had never happened. We just jumped, for, uh, you know, a little leap forward because of necessity. And I think we just got to embrace that. The workplace that my grandparents... And by the way, I missed... I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. So, you know, most of my peers, you know, we were never supposed to be successful. According to the boomers, you know, we were all going to be dope smokers li li living at home, uh, you know, uh, watching MTV all day. I missed being a boomer by two years. And I probably relate more to the boomers than I do uh, Gen X in some ways. But the, you know, we were... This generational stuff is largely irrelevant in my opinion. Everybody wants meaning in their work. Everybody wants to be appreciated and to do something that they feel is valuable with their days. And I don't think, I don't care if you're a boomer or a, a zennial or whatever, everybody wants that, right? I think maybe uh, the last couple of years and maybe their upbringing have taught these younger generations that maybe I don't need to wait till I'm 60 to enjoy those things. 
And and that's probably good. It's interesting. Uh, generational bashing has has been a rite of passage. It's been the rite of the other, all the way back through uh, the time of Hippocrates, which is the father of modern medicine, which is 300 BC. And in there, they talk about how young adults will be uh, are lazy and not working hard and, you know, what, what will happen. And Chaucer and Shakespeare have written about it hundreds, centuries ago. Uh, and, and we can go through up modern times. So, you know, the, our parents complained about the baby boomers. You know, I, I've got the cover of, of a magazine, uh, I believe it was Newsweek, in 1969 and the front cover was the generation gap and had a baby boomer on there and it talked about the the lazy narcissistic idealistic selfish uh uneducated hippies and that was that was my generation and they were complaining and then we had the ability to bash you guys uh gen x for sitting on and and i have the newsweek cover from 1985 of Gen X, what's going to come of this next generation? Because everybody was sitting in front of a TV and on their sofa in, you know, playing games. And look where, you know, look where you are. And then it became, you know, the, the game became to bash millennials. Now it's to bash Gen Z and, and give a couple of years. They'll be bashing the next generation alpha, I think, is the, is, is the, is the name of the next one. Um, but the generations are coming fast and ch- things are, are changing incredible. There's there's some really interesting studies of what that we assume we, we just assume that what we had, uh, the lessons we learned, the experiences we had as young adults growing up or even as, as adolescents, um, everybody experiences the same thing. And it's not. I mean, our younger generations do not know a world um, with without uh, without mobile devices, without digital devices. Um, the, some of them may not know a world of cash. Yeah. You, you know, right, I mean, yeah, they imagine. may not, yeah, you know, I can't wait to hear is, well, I, I still hear this. I, is that, that young, that young, young adults don't know how to give cash. Well, you don't have to know how to give it. I mean, there's some other fundamental math problems in there, but the fact is they don't know how to give cash, but frankly, that's not going to be a job skill. That may be under knowing having basic math skills may be something they need to do to learn logic but the, the ability to give cash is not going to be one of those skills that are, people right. are going to get hired or fired on uh in the in the very near future yeah and i'm an you know i'm an older guy and i every now and then i get caught someplace with no cash where i need to give some you know like the car wash those poor guys at the car wash you know i they gotta go through and i want to give them something and I'll pull out my money clip and there's some cards and there's a, a 50 and that's all I, you know, but there's no small bills. I, I carry the 50 as an emergency and I don't have money for those guys. And so I had to go to my, my change drawer in the car and give them $4 and quarters and nickels and dimes. And it's embarrassing, but that's the reality we're moving to. And, and soon I'll probably be Venmoing them saying, Hey, just give me your Venmo and I'll shoot you. A tip. Yeah. I was just thinking that we're going to use Zelle yeah. and Venmo or PayPal yeah. or, or, or just exchange something, you know, transfer yeah. some money on, on uh, crypto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm holding on to my crypto. It needs to keep going up. But so let's let's close with what you think recruiting is going to look like in in 2022 and forward. What employers, what trends do employers need to be paying attention to? Uh, what do you think is going to continue to change? 
I think we covered a, a good part of it is that it's not going back to the way it was. And if, if you're hanging on, hoping that's going to be the case, waiting for uh, some big change, you know, in last year in 2021, there was 18 billion dollars. That was almost 400 percent more dollars invested than two years before in HR tech. Um, everybody's waiting for technology to fix the problem. Technology is going to fix the problem. You said something earlier, and I wanted to remark on it, and I forgot about it, is that, um, that if you have a bad practice, a bad business practice, a bad HR practice, and you apply technology that, it doesn't only fail, it fails faster. So if, if, you, if you want to fail faster, then substitute the technology for what you're doing. Just randomly pick some process and, and automate it. Uh, it's we're going to have to rely on technology. Uh, the how we approach candidates is going to have to change. You know, I've spoken for the last five years. That's what my book's about is about the candidate experience. Uh, it's amazing how many companies still have a horrible mobile experience. They may have a, a nice career site. They're promoting, they're using video, they're attracting the right people. And then it comes to their application and their application is is this old stodgy application is asking for tons of information the abandoned rate in applications is is atrocious uh, so uh, as far as how people recruit it's going to be much more data driven um ai and machine learning is not going to solve the problem but people are going to have to become much more reliant on the data um focus on candidate experience is definitely going to to uh, increase the pressure to improve that is going to increase this year uh, you know, and again, I'm not an economist, so I, I follow the experts. Uh, job creation will probably slow, but it's still going to increase. The economy is predicted to keep growing, maybe at a slower rate, but it's going to keep growing uh, through 2023. And uh, actually through the rest of the, there'll be a little short, uh, a little blip they're, they're predicting maybe at the end of in the end of 2023, 24. Um, but if you look out for the next the rest of the decade, uh, our economy is going to grow. We're going to need more jobs. We're going to need people to we're going to need more upskilling. Uh, we're going to need people with different skills. Um, you know, we hear about even like the Amazons are hiring so many people. And what about the robots? They're replacing people. Well, they're replacing people who have the skill to work with a robot to install a robot, to maintain a robot, to repair a robot. Uh, they're still hiring hundreds of thousands of people. It's not replacing them. It's just replacing people that don't have the skills. So recruiting is going to get harder. It's going to get much, much harder uh, until everybody gets their act, you know, get, gets their act and, and their game together. And the debate over in-person, remote, hybrid, um, it's a deflection. It's not going to solve the problem. Uh, you're going to have probably in, in order to recruit and find people, you're going to have to figure it out. You can't keep changing your message. It can't be this is where we work this month and three months from now. It may be different. Um, it, there's got to be a consistent plan uh, going forward. But so my prediction is um, if, if you've got a good mind, uh, an adaptable mindset, you're moving forward, you're willing to evolve, then then uh, re recruitment will be easier than if you didn't do anything. But everybody's going to have to work a little lot, a little harder, do a little bit more effort. Um, but there's some great opportunities out there. And uh, I'm, despite being a boomer, despite having lived through this and everything else, I'm still I'm very positive of, of 
of where we can go. I'm very hopeful. Uh, and uh, that's hopefully the message that we can instill. That's, HR has a great opportunity. How to, how to yeah. finally become the innovators of the workplace. Right. And the, the, the least expensive recruiting tool you've got is retaining that employee so that they never do leave. And uh, I think a lot of employers that I'm talking to are finally getting that message and recognizing that uh, people aren't interchangeable parts. And even if they were, those, you know, we've got supply chain issues and the parts aren't available. So that's all the time we've got today. Thank you for joining me, Ira. Thanks, Mike. It's a, it's a pleasure. And we're just scratching the surface. But uh, Oh, yeah, we'll do uh, this again. Yeah. yeah. Stay safe. Thank you. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.